to someone today. And uh, while you're turning to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, I want to say thank you to Bishop Powell uh, for trusting me and having confidence in me to uh, let me preach from your pulpit, especially when you're not here. Because sometimes I say stuff that I probably shouldn't say, but I, I'm not going to do that today, Lord willing. And Pastor Lucas, miss you. We're praying for a soon, safe return. Uh, Wednesday, praise God. I'm kind of glad you're here today, because if you were here today, I wouldn't get to be preaching. <laughs> it, it's been a while since I preached here, and there's, there's a lot of people here, and I'm used to preaching to just a handful, and I'm a little nervous, so... Y'all, y'all help me. So glad to have my parents and my family here and, and uh, just glad to be a part of this great church. And we covet, you're thankful for your prayers. We covet your prayers uh, for what God is doing in Norfolk. And, uh, and uh, it's a great time to be living for God. Hallelujah. Well, let's go to the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And it's only 11.45, so I got plenty of time. But I talk fast and preach fast, so y'all got to listen fast, all right? And so the next few moments, I just want to talk on this subject, three feet from gold. Three feet from gold. Would you help me pray? Father, I thank you, God, for your word. Thankful for your spirit that is in this place today, God. God, you know I I need your help today, God. I ask you to help me to deliver this like you've given it to me, God. Let me get out of the way and let you do your word, God. Let your word go forth and minister today, God. And I bind anything, any spirit that would try to hinder the word and the move of God in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. He was born on July 6, 1747 in Scotland. And at the age of 13, he became an apprentice to a merchant marine captain. In 1768, while on a voyage, after both the captain and first mate of the ship, he was sailing on, died suddenly of yellow fever, he managed to navigate the vessel safely to port and was rewarded by the ship's owner and made master of the ship and its crew. Then in 1775, he joined the newly founded Continental Navy and was appointed a first lieutenant on the frigate, the USS Alfred. The following year, he was given his own ship to command and soon began wreaking havoc on the British Navy. And on September 23rd, 1779, while commanding the vessel, the Bonham Richard, he fought one of the bloodiest battles in naval history when he engaged the Royal Navy frigate named the Serapis, a much larger ship with more cannons and firepower than his own. And while his ship was burning and sinking, the commander of the British vessel demanded he surrender to spare the lives of his remaining crew. To which John Paul Jones famously replied, Sir, I have not yet begun to fight. Three hours later, the Serapis surrendered and Jones took command right before his own ship sank. 
This victory and many others won by Jones were instrumental in defeating the British and winning the war. These historic feats are why John Paul Jones is referred to by many historians as the father of the U.S. Navy. Now, I don't know if John Paul Jones was a religious or a God-fearing man. Uh, as someone who spent uh, a significant amount of my younger days working on vessels in the Gulf of Mexico, let me say that from my experience, there were not a lot of prayer meetings and Bible studies taking place on the boats that I worked on. I mean, there is a reason there we have the saying, he cusses like a sailor. So whether John Paul Jones was a man of faith or not, I don't know. But it does appear that he must have been familiar with Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 reads like this. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. You see, this portion of Scripture declares that there is a time or a season for just about anything one can think of. Some of these seasons and purposes we enjoy and others we disdain. And while the above list of purposes in this passage is extensive, you may notice there is one thing noticeably missing. You see, apparently John Paul Jones knew what Solomon knew, that while there may be a time to retreat, regroup, re-strategize, or reorganize, According to Solomon, there's never a time to give up. I said there's never a time to give up. No doubt there are some of you here today or watching on the webcast who are discouraged, disillusioned, disheartened, or even depressed. But I've come to tell somebody that it's not time to give up. It's not time to throw in the towel or wave the right flag of surrender. Even though it may appear that the boat of your life is taking on water and you're about to go down with the ship. The answer is not to allow your feelings of frustration and disappointment to cause you to get up, give up on God and leave the church. What somebody needs to do is plant your feet, square your shoulders, pick your chin up, look the devil right in the eye and solemnly declare, I have not yet begun to fight. Come on, somebody. I know things may look dark and dreary, and I know you may be tired and weary, but no matter how bad or how desperate or how hopeless your situation may be, it's always too soon to quit. You see, anybody can quit. Anyone. It takes zero faith to quit. No determination. No discipline. No endurance to just give up and quit. But it does take faith. It does take determination, discipline, and endurance to day in, day out, 
week in, week out, month in, month out, stare defeat and discouragement in the face and say, I'm not giving up. I refuse to quit. You see, with everything going on in the world today, I think we could all agree that we are living in what the Apostle Paul called perilous times. I remember during the 1990s, after we moved to Alexandria, Louisiana, Bishop Anthony Mangan always referred to that decade as the nasty 90s. Well, if the 90s were nasty, I guess you could say we're living in the turbulent and tumultuous 20s. All right? If we're going to survive and make it in these difficult and trying times, there are a few things that we must remember and keep in the forefront of our mind as we try to navigate through what could possibly be the beginning of the last of the last days. First thing that we must remember is we have an enemy who hates us and would love nothing more than to take us out. He wants to steal your joy, kill your faith, and destroy you and anything good in your life. So if you're going to live for God, and especially if you're going to try to do something for the kingdom of God, you can rest assured you're going to have a giant target on your back. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But the apostle Paul tells us that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. And so the first thing the old boy is going to try to do is, especially when you're new in the faith, he's going to try to tempt you to go back into that life of sin. Okay, He's going to come at you through three ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Uh, take the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 16, uh, in verses 2 and 3. They're, they've just left e uh, Egypt. They're, they haven't gone very far. And uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 reads, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread in the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They got a little hungry, and all of a sudden they forgot how bad it was in Egypt. All right? All they could remember is, well, we had plenty to eat. <laughs> they forgot about the whips and the lashes on their back and all the hard labor that they had to do. And that's what Satan will try to do to you. He won't let you remember the bad times. He'll just let you remember all the good times. So, if he can't get you to go back uh, into sin, the next thing he's going to try to do, he's going to try to get you offended so that you can become bitter. Just like when the children of Israel got to the bitter waters of Merah, he's going to especially try to get you to get bitter at leadership. You see, first they complained against Moses at the bitter waters of Merah. And then in Numbers uh, chapter 16, Korah, Dathan, and 250 of the princes of Israel challenged Moses and Aaron in their authority. So he wants you to become bitter because he knows that a bitter heart is the breeding ground for deception. And that's what he wants to do. He knows if I can get them deceived, then I've got them. And just like Eve in the Garden of Eden... He's going to try to get you to question the word of God and question God's character. Now, if all three of those tactics don't work, he basically has one card left up his sleeve, and that is he's going to try to wear you out. 
If he can't get you to go back into sin, he can't get you bitter, he can't get you to see, he's got one thing left to do, and that's just wear you out and get you to give up. Daniel 7.35 says that the man of sin will wear out the saints of the Most High. Revelation chapter 13 verse 7 reads, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. We think it's bad now. It's going to get worse. His job is to wear us out and cause us to give up. Our job is to remain faithful and endure to the end. Praise God. Now, the second thing we must remember is that God is in control of the seasons. All right? Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the sun. Now, I want to qualify what I'm about to say. I don't want you to take it out of context or say, Brother Wilson said this. But look, I'm from, we, we're from Alexandria. If there's one thing they're known for, it's prayer and fasting, okay? All right? And I believe in prayer and fasting. I believe prayer and fasting changes things, okay? However, there are some seasons... Some trials and some storms that we are not going to be able to pray our way out of. We're going to have to pray our way through them, okay? Some, and I said this before one time, some mountains aren't meant to be moved. They're meant to be climbed. And I heard, I think I saw it on Facebook the other day. You know, if you ask God to move, you, move your mountain, don't be surprised when he hands you a shovel and says, start digging. I'd be like, hey, God, an excavator and a bulldozer and a dump truck would go a lot faster, you know, but that's not how God works, okay? <laughs> you see, he didn't deliver the three Hebrew boys out of the fire, but he was with them in the fire. He didn't deliver Daniel out of the lion's den, but he, he spared him. Some things are just for an appointed time. You got Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3 says that the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Let me encourage you today to tell someone that the trial you're going through right now, the storm you may be in the midst of, and your difficulties that seem unbearable, all have an expiration date, okay? Some seasons of life are wonderful and some just plain stink. But one thing is certain, seasons do change. It won't be winter forever. Praise God. All right? Jeremiah, this is, put Jeremiah 29, 11 up there just to show you. You know, everyone loves to quote this scripture, you know. I know the thoughts I think Towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and an expected end. All right, some translations say to give you a hope and a future. But put uh, chapter 29, verse 10, the, the verse right before that says, Thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and casting you to, causing you to return to this place. You see, it wouldn't have mattered if Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, they could have prayed and fasted until their belly buttons fall off, but they weren't coming out of Babylon one day sooner than after 70 years, okay? Some things are just at an appointed time, all right? We gotta, and we got to live through it, all right? 
Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law. When the fullness of time was coming, in other words, when it was time, when it was the right time. And when the time is right, you're going to come out of your situation. You see, some seasons are longer than others. And you may have been going through your season for what seems like forever, and it may seem like there's no end in sight. But just as sure as I'm standing here today, there is a day of deliverance appointed for you. There is a destiny on God's calendar if you don't give up before your time. My, my text was, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This is talk. The context of the scripture is talking about our eternal glory. In other words, our eternal reward, we're going to re receive that if we don't faint. But it could also be applied to our temporal circumstances. All right? There are things that God wants to give us in this life, but we have to endure and wait on his timing. The third thing we must remember is that when deliverance is at the door, the devil will intensify his attacks. All right? When you're about to get through, it's going to get hard, all right? That's from my experience. Uh, take, for instance, when Moses, the deliverer, is born, what happens? Pharaoh starts killing all the babies. He wants to stop it. Same thing with Jesus. When he's born, Herod tries to uh, kill all the male babies, trying to stop it. And then when Moses, after being in the desert for 40 years, he comes back to, to deliver the children of Israel, and here's the thing, too. you got to realize, I don't know how long they, they had been praying for God to deliver them, but they had to be in there for 400 years because God had told Abraham, your descendants are going to be in Egypt for 400 years. So they could have started praying and crying out to God at year 200, but they still had 200 more years to go. All their praying and crying out wasn't going to change the fact that he had said, you got to be there for 400 years, all right? And so when Moses comes back to deliver them, what does Pharaoh do? He starts making it harder on them. Oh, you got too much time on your hands. You still got to make the same amount of bricks, but now you got to go get your own straw. Okay? I think I mentioned this here before one time, but uh, years ago I read a biography of, about Chuck Yeager. And uh, for those who don't know him, he was the man that on October 14th, 1947, he piloted what was named the X-1 Experimental Aircraft uh, that was released from a, a, B 50, a B-29 bomber. They would put this little plane underneath a B-29 bomber, and they would take it up to a certain height, and then they would release it, and then he would hit this rocket jet engine, and then he, he would take off, and uh, they would release him at 25,000 feet, and then he climbed to 42,000 feet. And as his plane approached Mach 1, which is the speed of sound, I believe, it began to shake violently. At Mach 0.965, the speed indicator went haywire. At Mach 0.995, the G-forces blurred Jaeger's vision and turned his stomach. All right? He said it seemed as if the plane was going to disintegrate, that every rivet that was holding that plane together was just going to uh, pop off. 
And just as it seemed that plane was about to disintegrate, there was a loud sonic boom followed by an almost instantaneous eerie silence. As the plane crossed the sound barrier, the air pressure shifted from the front of the, to the back. And what was thought by science to be unbreakable and impossible had been broken. And just like the sound barrier, there is a faith barrier. And breaking through the faith barrier in the spiritual realm is much like breaking the sound barrier in the physical realm. If you want to experience a supernatural breakthrough, you have to pray through and you have to press through. But the closer you get to your breakthrough, it often feels that about you're going to lose control and everything's about to fall apart. That's when you have to keep pressing on and you have to keep praying. If you allow them to, your disappointments will create drag. And if you allow them, your doubts will cause your dreams to nosedive. But if you pray through and press through, God will come through and you will experience your spiritual breakthrough. You see, some thought that the sound barrier was like a brick wall in the sky and whoever reached Mach 1 would just disintegrate upon impact. You see, other pilots had tried before and as they would approach Mach 1 uh, and the plane would start shaking, they would get fear and then they would back off the throttle and they didn't want to go through. It was at that point that they would, that when it started shaking so violently, they would quit. But Jaeger, he said, no, I'm not going to quit. He bit the bullet and he pushed through, finding that once you broke the barrier, the shaking stopped and the ride smoothed out. You just had to keep going. And how often is our life like that? Anybody ever been in a situation where you, you're seeking a new level in God or you're trying to get through a, a breakthrough and you're praying and you're fasting and, and you're almost there, it seems, and all of a sudden just all the forces of hell seem to be coming against you. And your, our natural instinct is just to say, no, no, no. But that's the most important point then. That's when you just say, I'm not going to quit. No matter what it takes, I'm going to keep pressing on. See, the last thing that we must remember is that it's not just about you. It's not just about us. Okay? What we do, our lives and our testimonies, have an eternal effect upon others. I think about Jackie Robinson. Younger people probably don't know who that was, but he was the first African-American player to play Major League Baseball. Not professional, but in the major leagues. And uh, that was, I think it was in 1947. And uh, Jackie faced a lot of racial uh, prejudice. There were death threats on him. When he would go to play, especially when he was playing down in, in teams in, in the South, they would uh, hurl racial slurs and everything at him. Uh, there were places where he wouldn't be allowed to stay in the same hotel as his teammates or eat uh, in the same restaurant. And people were asked, Jackie, how, how, did, you, how did you go through all that? How, he said, well, I just realized that if I didn't make it, if I didn't stick through, if I quit, then who knows, they wouldn't have let anybody else. But because Jackie Robinson didn't quit, even though it was hard, then we had a Willie Mays, then we had a Hank Aaron, because he refused to quit even though it was tough. You see, you never know who's watching you. Could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a coworker, could just be another saint. 
But when they see you persevering and remaining faithful, despite all the trials and tribulations, it may just inspire them and give them hope. Now, I'm sure most of you are saying, man, this is a great message, Brother Wilson, but what does it have to do with three feet from gold? All right. Well, I'm glad you asked. So some of you may have read this book. Uh, it's by Napoleon Hill. It's called uh, Think and Grow Rich. It was probably one of the first best-selling self-help books. It was written in the early 1900s. And he tells a story. Uh, he writes uh, in his book that one of the most common causes of failure is the habit of quitting when one is overtaken by temporary defeat. And he tells the story of a man named R.U. Darby, uh, whose uncle uh, got struck by gold fever back in uh, the 1800s when they were having all the gold rushes. And so he went out west to try to find gold and become rich. And so uh, he staked the claim and went to work with a pick and a shovel. Uh, and it was hard, but after a while... Uh, his labors was rewarded, and he discovered some, some gold ore there. He knew he needed machinery to be able to bring it up to the surface, so quietly he covered up at the mine. He retraced his steps back to his home in Williamsburg, Virginia, told all of his relatives and some of his neighbors about the strike he had found, and so they got together enough money to buy some machinery, and they had it shipped uh, out to Colorado. And then uh, R.U. Darby went with his uncle, back there to work the mine. And so they got there, they started digging, they got the first car of gold ore, they shipped it to a smelter, and sure enough, man, it was good, it was pure gold, and it, they thought it looked like they had one of the richest mines in Colorado. And so all they needed was just a few more cars uh, of that gold ore, and they would have paid all the debts uh, of the money that they had borrowed, and then they would start making profits. So they went to drilling, and their hopes were high, and then something happened. All of a sudden, that vein of gold ore just stopped. It just disappeared. It was no longer there. Desperately, they drilled on and on, trying to find it again, all to no avail. And finally, they just quit. They got tired and they quit. They sold the machinery that they had borrowed the money for to a junk man for a few hundred dollars, and they took the train back home east to Virginia. The junk man, he was smart. He called in a mine, an engineer to look at the mine and do some calculating. And the engineer told the junk man that the project had failed because the owners were not familiar with fault lines. And by his calculations, he believed that the, the vein of the gold ore could be found just three feet from where the Darby's had stopped drilling. And that's exactly where he found it. The junk man took millions of dollars of ore from that mine because he knew enough to seek counsel before giving up. Three feet. Can you imagine that? That's one yard. If I fall down, that's almost two yards. I mean, when I played football, I averaged five yards a carry. And I only had three carries, and one of them was for 13 yards, so you do the math, Okay. But I mean, three feet, giving up. But I wonder how many prayers have gone unanswered? How many revivals never came to fruition? How many miracles never happened or how many souls were never reached because someone just gave up too soon? I feel like there's someone here today and you could just be three feet from gold. You're that close to your miracle, so don't give up. Keep praying. 
Keep believing. Keep hoping until it happens. Don't quit before your miracle happens. Don't let something that is temporal cause you to lose that which is eternal. You see, faith and perseverance overcomes the greatest difficulties. Do you guys have that video ready that I had? If y'all can get that ready, I'm, I'm getting ready to close, so the music team, y'all can get ready. This is it's about Derek Redmond. He was a sprinter for Great Britain. That's him right there. This is the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. It's the semifinal heat, and so if he places and has a good time in this heat, he'll be in the finals and could possibly uh, win a medal. That's him. You see him right there. But something happens right there. On that back stretch, he, he, he tore his hamstring. The race. You see, Olympics athletes, they train their whole life for this one moment. He sacrificed, trained his whole life. And so, knowing that this is probably his only chance, what does he do? He could have just had the, the, the medics come and help him, but he's determined that he's going to finish the race. And so he gets up, and you can see he's hobbling on one leg. He may not win, but he's going to finish the race. He's determined that. All right? Just a minute, we're going to get to the, obviously he's in pain. He's probably still got at least 100 meters or more to make it to the finish line, but he's giving it all. That's his dad. You see, his dad comes out of the stand when he sees his son, what his son had trained his whole life for. And he said he's going to make it to the finish line. You see, folks, we're too close to the finish line to give up now. We're too close. Wouldn't it be crazy to give up on something when you knew the outcome was already determined? I mean, we're going to win as long as we don't quit. But some of you may be saying, but preacher, you don't understand. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I can't go on. And you're right. I don't. But if you could just somehow, like Derek Redmond, Find enough energy to pick yourself up. I promise you, if need be, your heavenly Father will carry you to the finish line. You see, none of us are going to make it on our own. All right? Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace through faith. Zechariah 12 and 10 says that God would pour out the spirit of grace upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of grace. It's the Holy Ghost that's going to get us through. It's the Holy Ghost. That's why we got to have the Holy Ghost. One of the main reasons we got to have the Holy Ghost, to help us through. I'm coming to a close, if y'all, okay. You see, some of you may feel like the children of Judah in Psalm chapter 137. There by the rivers of Babylon, it said they sat down and they wept when they remembered Zion. You see, Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had come and they had destroyed Jerusalem and taken them captive. And 
they're leaving Jerusalem and now they're in a strange land. And verse 2 of Psalm 137 says that we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth. Saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You see, things looked hopeless. Things looked impossible. Things were bad. Things were difficult. But that wasn't the end of the story. Okay? See, after 70 years, after that Jeremiah said 70 years, they, they got out. So the rest of the story, like... Some of y'all older people, y'all remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? The rest of the story is found in Psalm chapter 126, if you could put that up there. Psalm 126 reads, When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Skipping down to uh, verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheath with it. You're going to reap if you don't faint. So keep, keep crying those tears. Keep sowing those tears. Keep believing. Keep fasting. Weeping may endure for a night. <laughs> oh, I wish Brother Kennedy was here because he could say it better than me. But joy, joy comes in the morning. <laughs> These altars are open. I wonder if there's anybody that would like to come up here and just let God, the devil, and yourself know I'm not going to quit. I've just begun to fight. <laughs> yes. I know your situation may look hopeless, but don't give up. Your miracle's on the way. Your deliverance is coming if you won't give up. Psalm 138 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, Thou will revive me. You, thou will stretch forth Thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and Thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. That means he's going to complete it. One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 1, 6. says, he that begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is never going to give up on you. Why would you give up on him? Praise God.